Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, a.k.a. KD. And we are going to pull back the veil. We are going to raise the curtain on what is actually going on at the best of the best SaaS sales companies out there in terms of how they do compensation, how they structure their culture, but also lifting the veil for reps on what you need to look for. Because so often you can get dazzled by the shiny object. They've raised money. They're a rocket ship. They've got a former Googler in the lead, like whatever it is. Then you get in and it's something completely different than what you were expecting. And that's why I'm so pumped to have Ryan Walsh on the show with me today. One, a recovering CRO, similar to myself. We do need to go through some recovery after being in the game for so long. But also the CEO of RepView, where that is the mission of pulling back the veil and making roles more transparent for salespeople. So we're going to dive into what to look for, what to ask, but also for sales leaders, what you need to be doing to attract the best talent out there. Ryan, my man, welcome to the show. Awesome. Katie, thanks for having me. Glad to talk about it. Love it. We're passionate about it. I'm passionate about it. I think about it all day long. Uh, And um, yes, my recovery period has been longer than anticipated, but I'm getting through it. I'm working through it. You and I can talk about that after the after the podcast. <laughs> what are what are some of my seven steps to get through it? Indeed, I might need that that checklist. But although, as we were discussing right before we hit record, is you're no longer in recovery mode. You're in build mode. You're just building a company, right? One letter changed. You went from CRO to CEO, and now you're back into the game here. But so, what I want to do, man, is like I want to dive into this because I think it's a fun topic that people dance around. 
You know, like we tiptoe around it. We don't really get into the weeds of it. And I want to start with, you know, for reps out there that are looking for roles, what should they be looking for, right? Because if you read the job ads, they all sound the same, right? So like, what should reps be looking for in a role to know whether or not it's a good fit for them? Yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of directions we could go with this question, but you know, let me start with, yes, the job ads all look the same. And there's probably another podcast for another day about the, the actual process of hiring and getting on board at some of these companies and how it needs a, a serious transformation. And that's something that we think a lot about as well. Um, you know, but not only do the job ads, the, the, the pitches sound the same, right? You mentioned like, you know, series A, series B, series C, they're all telling you the same thing. Great culture. We just raised all this money. Grow, 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 grow. Right. Um, and and there's a few things like and so before we jump into how do you find this information, there's this concept, especially a lot of people come to me every single day talking about I want to get into tech. I want to get into, you know, an, an earlier stage coming. I'm at XYZ giant company, Salesforce, Oracle. I want to go, I want to go earlier. Fun, maybe equity might be worth something. There's this, there's this, there's this concept that when you're in a series A, series B, series C, every company hits this, right? There, there's some amount of greenfield opportunity, right? And 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 then you marry that with what is the capacity that's already overlaid on that greenfield opportunity for the sales organization. And what we see for, for sales orgs that are very, very high regarded in some of these earlier stages is that capacity simply has not caught up with that greenfield opportunity, right? It's a very simple thing, right? We just, and, and to put it even more clearly, there's, there's room to hire 15 more reps and there's still opportunity for those 15. They can still eat, right? They can still get those opportunities. There's more coming in and coming in. The problem is you start to raise that series B of 80 million, 150 million, and then you pile on another 70 reps. At some point, every company starts to not in, in every, I mean, some of these, you know, obviously you look at some of these huge SaaS companies or huge tech companies, there's a ton of greenfield opportunity, right? So you can hire a lot, but a lot of these companies, they're sexy, they're newer, they raised a bunch of money. You, the, the delta between the capacity that has already been hired from a salesperson perspective and that greenfield, that, that's starting to shrink. And at some point you reach a tipping point, right? At, 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 some, at some kind of, there's, there's an arc there where you reach a tipping point where now you're kind of fighting this battle of creating more. And how do you create more, how do you create more of that greenfield, right? Through product, right? Innovations through you're expanding your product, which might expand your market through deal size, which expands your TAM as well. Right. So, so you have to you can expand it, but are you expanding it at a rate that's outpacing your your talent acquisition? And so for me, a huge sign is we, we try and look for that. And we, and, and we see through what we're building at RepView, we see some of these orgs that are kind of smaller are rated really, really well. And we talk about that like they have not hit that tipping point. So maybe it's a great time to join. Uh, but at the same time, you have to be very cautious because you might, you could be the rep that is the tipping point, right? And you don't want to be that you don't want to be that higher, right? Uh, and that that can be hard uh, to dig into. You know, we well, let's have, hit that real quick. How yeah? How could we right? Like, what questions should a rep ask, or what should they look for in a company, right? To tell like 
okay, what is the capacity, right? Like, do I still feel there's a green field or not? Like, are there questions they could ask? Are there things that they can do to try to suss some of that out? Yeah, I mean, we yeah, certainly the basics of questions, and, and we're huge advocates of this at, at RepView, you know, and we have the data to back it up, but regardless of whether we have the data, just ask the question, like what, what percent of the team hit, hit their target last quarter? Right. Is it is it 35 percent? Is it you know, is it 80 percent? Is it you know, what what is that number? And, and then it's a loaded question because what should that number be is another question. Right. So some of these companies that are hiring aggressively, it's almost like, all right, well, what percent of maybe like of the folks who were there a year, like what hit? And then also um, a, a company may be very highly regarded, might have a, an incredible refuse score, but you know, maybe that number is a little bit lower. So it's like, where are you in that tipping point, right? And I think that um, I always start with what percent of the team hits quota this quarter, last quarter, or this year, last year sort of thing. We start with that. And I personally, you know, when I think about the different aspects of what makes a sales org great or what doesn't, you look at culture, you look at professional development, uh, you know, you look at the incentive comp plan, you look at uh, lead flow and is it all cold calls or is it all, you know, inbound, right? You know, and then what, what other things are important to you? Is DNI important to you? Is, you know, it just depends on what's important to you, but there's some basics, right, that are, that are super important. And it starts for me and what I advise people, it starts with the product because really the product drives every, it drives, you know, winning cures a lot of bad culture, right? I mean, you know, right? I mean, everybody's winning, you, you know, you get, get away with a lot. Right. Um, and so, so I think that, I think that, um, winning is, is the, the most correlated factor is where does your product sit in the market? Right. Is it driving demand? Are you, you know, you're, you know, particularly now in, in tech, there's always going to be competitors, right? So how do you sit in that? How do you sit within that? And I, I used to say, I had a phrase I like to use a lot, which is you throw a, a great leadership team at a bad product and the product wins every time. Right. I mean, been there, just, <laughs> been yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter what you do. So, so I think the, the product piece and then, well, how do you dig into that? Right. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you like, who are your competitors? Who, what, what tell me, I like to get, you, know, the, you, you get a lot of interview advice from people and they'll say things like the interviewers are going to ask you some very specific examples, right? Okay. Well flip the script. Uh, tell me, tell me three deals that you lost last month. And why did you lose those deals, right? As an interviewee, right? I'm like, tell me why you lost those deals, right? So like, it's so funny because nobody ever thinks like that. They think, well, they're going to ask you very specific. You tell me a deal, you a big deal you wanted. Walk me through this specific process and why, you know, da, 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 da. Okay, well, yeah, like it's great to show specific. Or if you're interviewing for a leadership role, tell me about a really challenging, you know, employee, you know, issue you had to deal with and, and, how did you, what, what did you do? Right. Well, well, tell me about a really challenging prospect your sales organization had and, and you lost and walk me through the steps of why you lost it, what you could have done differently. I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, make them squirm a little bit too. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is, is don't get the references that they give you, right? Oh, don't, you. don't, you know, Hey, can I talk to somebody on the team? Yeah. Here's Sally closer, right? And she's made 300K last year on a 120 OTE and she loves working here. Hey, Sally, why don't you go talk to Kevin? You know, like, in, uh, like how about we just, how about we independently uh, get somebody? And, and I, I'd love to talk to, 
you know, if, if possible, can I talk to somebody that's done really well? Can I talk to somebody that hasn't? Can, and, and honestly, I, and we, we, we can help with this for a lot of companies, a former employee, right. Mm-hmm. You know, who's, you know, well, that's going to be biased. They, you know, they left, right. Well, that's not, that's not always the case, right. I mean, people leave jobs a lot. And many times I see, maybe it's just, I look at LinkedIn a lot and they're always talking about how grateful they are for the opportunity. So, you know, there's they, some survivors so, bias there, right. Those are the ones that are posting, right. But if you think about yeah. everybody leaving, cause you and I have talked about this and actually I think this is a good follow-up, right. You, you and I talked about this really actually when RepView was getting started and it was actually one of my concerns, right. I was like, well, how do you guard against that, right? Because sales is a relatively high turnover role, good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. You have more people leaving, which sometimes can poison the water, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, disgruntled or didn't work out. And like, so how how can a rep kind of weed through the good and the bad? Like, how do you know the good's actually good? But also, how do you know if the bad's actually bad, right? You, you could go look up reviews on me. 10 mm-hmm. people that love me. One's like, he's the worst leader I've ever worked for. All he cares about is LinkedIn. He's net like in all this. And it's like, whoa, how do yeah. you try to suss that out? Like, how can you tell the realness of it all? Yeah, we, it is, it is. We think about this all the time. We get, we get asked about this all the time. And, it, you know, when talk about, you know, Glassdoor, you know, people mm-hmm. say rep who's kind of like Glassdoor for sales. Well, yes and no. You know, I think we, um, we structure everything as, as data driven, right? There's no rage typing about <laughs> Katie, my former manager. Like, what what happened in that scenario that you just described with the person that didn't appreciate, you know, the engagement they had with you was they got they got some gratification for posting that on the internet for themselves personally and however they want to describe it, right? You know, when when you take the emotion out of it, which we which we have done because it's simply data and ratings. We're not asking people to tell me about your manager. Mm-hmm. We're not asking me to how bad was the avocado in the break room, right? Like we don't we don't we don't want that information. It's not valuable to our users. What we try and do is structure data so you can compare companies with similar data sets, right? Like, well, relatively speaking, when we have eight hundred ratings from Salesforce and four hundred ratings for HubSpot how does the overall mm-hmm. culture score compare or how does the lead flow like you can, and you can dive into that at kind of even a, a role level. Like we try and take emotion out of it um, and, and, and really just drive it based on data. Right. I've always said like, you know, glass story, you got 45% disgruntled, 45% HR told me to do it 10% in the middle. Maybe that's valuable. And some portion of that salespeople, um, and at the end of the day, too, it's also about numbers. It's what percent of team p- people really value? What percent of team hits quota? Mm-hmm. Um, so we we kind of package all that into a into a relative refuse score. Our goal is not to disparage companies. Like we we have no desire to do that. Our goal is to shine a light on companies that are being, you know, providing an exceptionally positive experience to their employees. Our goal is to highlight those types of companies for sales professionals so that they can get into those roles. They're all hiring. Um, and, and maybe some of the ones that have areas to improve, we want to help them improve their organization with data as well. Here's where you need to improve it. There's, you know, so so for us, that's really core to the mission is, is it, it, we have no design. And honestly, we hear, I hear more every, on a daily basis, more people that are super pumped about their, their roles than are upset. Yes, we hear like I got sold a bill of goods and mm-hmm. I ended up in this place and, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. We don't. We, we hear more like, you know, this is great. I got into a great 
opportunity, a great role. Will that work out in three years? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, they're, they're super excited. We hear that positivity so much more, um, which is which is what drives us. But but honestly, you know, getting in, it's such a leap of historically, right, as a career salesperson, right? One of the reasons I probably never left my career, I spent 16 years at the same company is because of that fear of unknown, mm. right? Like, okay, I'm doing pretty well here. Like, you know, I could do better there, but also it could just be a complete shit show, right? I could get over there and then I'm going to get my tail, I'm going to tuck my tail and come back and say, all right, hey, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe you were right, right? But, and so now it's like, is it possible to, to give people more confidence in that decision, right? Maybe, I think so. And that's kind of what, you know, what we help to, what we hope to, to help with a little bit too. Uh, but it's, it's hard. It's hard that you're asking questions like, how do you know? right? If it's the right org, right? And I'm saying like, yeah, product market fit. You're st- a lot of times you're still asking people's opinions and you're, mm-hmm. you're you know, of that. So it, it is, it is difficult and we're trying to make a difficult process, you know, somewhat easier um, on the reps. And we can go down this one layer deeper, right? Like comp aside, right? Because yeah. that's what drives a lot of salespeople, right? Like what's the OTE? What's the comp? Do you have suggestions on how to know if the role is right for you? Because not every sales role is the same, right? So do you give guidance on like, okay, based on like what you like or how you like to sell, like what are some of the pieces of advice you can give there? Because I think people, they just get blinded by an OTE and you realize, well, wait a minute, that's a fast transactional SMB sale versus a strategic mid-market or enterprise sale, like what are some things that a rep should actually be asking themselves, right? So they get asked questions by the interviewer. They're supposed to ask the interviewer, what are some questions the rep should be asking themselves before going into a role? Yeah, 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 absolutely. We we think a lot about this, okay? And and this is actually, you know, Repty's been around for a couple of years now. When we originally built the platform, one of the core things we did was like, all right, yeah, people are like, oh, you go to you can rate your org. Okay, fine. Okay, yeah, but but there's 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 a kind of a slight variation of something that we put into that process. It takes like two and a half minutes all in. Those there there's seven categories that we think are important, and these are important to understand if the company's good at them. But to your question, they're also very important to understand how value how valuable that is in your career. Like, do you care about that? Right. So when you look at it, like how important is base comp, incentive comp structure, culture and leadership, product market fit, diversity and inclusion, uh, lead flow and professional development. Those are I think I got them. Those are the seven. So before you join RepView as part of the process, we give you those seven things and we say stack rank them, stack rank them. Right. And so we know. Right. You, Katie, as an individual cares a lot about lead flow first. I'm just making this up. Uh, professional development second, right? And 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 then on down the road. And maybe, you know, culture's last, which is probably not true, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and so so then, all right, well, what is what does that mean? So so then we and then we know company A is really strong at lead flow. And and then you know you you can look at that data. We look at data all the time. What is he cares about lead flow first. Well, maybe maybe Katie's not the cold calling type, right? Or whatever, right? Maybe maybe he's not as comfortable with that. D- excels in role, or maybe professional development is more important because you're in your first year as an AE, right? Versus like you, Ryan Walsh, you know that professional development is going to 
be last. Just give me a phone, you know, and a good comp plan and I'm, yeah. I'm probably okay. Right. I don't need to try and learn this old dog here. Doesn't need a new sales methodology yeah. to pick up at my age. But, and so, and so then we know company A and company B and company C are really strong at lead flow. That means a lot of inbound to so KD. That's what he cares about. Right. And so it's actually a really important exercise for people to think through like what they value. And, and it's not just that stuff. It's also like big company, small company, mm-hmm. right? Like, like that's huge. Like, and we've seen it all the time. I've hired hundreds and hundreds of salespeople and never got it. You know, we always got some of them wrong, even, you know, after I'd done it for years and years and, and you look back and you're like, yeah, we should have probably caught that on us. Yep. Probably on us. Like, yeah. How do we do our training? How do they like to learn? We're, our sales orgs, 250 people, they did really well in a five person sales org. Okay. You know, we weren't like, you know, Ford assembly line, probably we had a lot of process and structure. And so like maybe that, you know, big company, small company, um, you know, th- th- there's so many different things, technical, how technical is your product? Like, mm-hmm. And so, so we try and capture data and, and our vision on that is just capture enough very basic data. Like we know where you sold because you did ratings we know who those personas are as well. Like, Hey, you know, you know, KD can go talk to the CMO all day long, but you know, hasn't really had experience talking to the CFO, like in selling into that org, I sell to marketers, but, and that, that makes a difference too. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot of little things and um, people, and I've heard that I've heard the, the a number of people say things like, well, such an excellent salesperson, they could sell to, to really anyone like maybe, but, yeah. but like, you'll be way better if you, if you know where you've really had success and double down a little bit on that. Exactly. You know, I mean, I love that call out because it's true, right? Just like there's some, I would rather, right. Be blowing out a quota, blowing out a number versus, okay, not blowing it out. Right. This is what I'm good at. I even know this about myself as a sales leader, about 200 is like my ceiling in terms of how large I like my org to be. Once it's that big, I don't feel like I'm close enough to it anymore. I don't feel like I'm in it anymore. Changes take too long. Like I'm the builder and I know that about myself and Mm -hmm. I'm proactively, right? I get opportunities thrown all the time. I'm like, no, like I don't want to step into an org that's 200 already and go to 500. I'm the one that gets you to 200, right? And knowing those strengths and knowing your preferences, I think is really, really important because I am, I'm a huge believer in role fit just as much as skill fit. There are a lot of very talented, hardworking, good salespeople that are in the wrong roles for them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they are more strategic versus transactional. Maybe they are more inbound than outbound. Maybe they do like to change fast or they just need the playbook. Just give me the playbook and I'll go. And I think knowing that about yourself is so important. I love that y'all are building that in to kind of try to help people establish that early on. Yeah. Hundred percent, right? I mean, you know, you know, interviewing, right? Like, I bet at Patient Pop, like a lot of it on. Yeah, I'm, I'm just guessing here. Pipeline velocity was probably huge, right? You're not going to hire, depending on your deal size, if it's 8k or whatever. Like for 8k, like you don't want a, a 190k average seller, right? It, it's just not going to work, right? It's not. And the same if you've got a 100k average deal size, you have to have somebody that can manage closing eight to 10 deals a year, not somebody that needs to close six deals a month. Yes. Right? It's just a completely different experience. You'd have to train. Oh, they're a great salesperson. Yeah, but it's just not the right fit. I've seen so many sellers that we hired that didn't do so well 
And, and I knew they'd be highly successful somewhere else uh, because of some of the mistakes we made in fit up front early, you know, earlier in my career. And, and, and so that, you know, that experience, we're trying to, we're trying to do it at scale with, with what we're doing at RepView. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, and I think you've seen too, right? Like leaders at, at, at orgs that are building, right? 30 sales org size, 50, like they haven't seen, like they're still figuring that out too. Um, and so I'll go back to one of the, one of the things, like when you get to be like a 600 person company, 800 person company, thousand person company, you know, you're, you're going to want to, somebody needs to have the, the, the skill at the head of sales seat in the head of sales seat that has seen those law, like experienced leadership makes a difference. Right. Uh, and, and so you're, you're past the phase of kind of gritty startup, um, and so you can you can probably afford to bring somebody in that's that's scaled significantly, um, and so that's another thing I'll look at depending on where the company is in the life cycle, right? If it's a five hundred person startup, like what is that leader like? What what experience does that leader have? Um, and and will I become like will they have the infrastructure for me to be supported as a seller? Whether it's tech stack, whether it's you know, very well-baked process. I, I get, it's such a huge problem is like disorganized lead routing. Um, and, you know, I know from your, you like building, like that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff you got to build, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the kind of stuff that makes a huge difference in the day-to-day -day selling world of a seller. Well, this lead should have gone to me, right? Why did it go to Sally closer over there, right? Like, you know, why does Sally get all the, you know, like that? Uh, that ROE dispute, ROE disputes, my man. Those are my favorite conversations yeah, yeah, every yeah. week. Yeah. Um, well, actually, let's flip this real quick as we start to come up on time. Let's flip it to, also, we could talk about VP hiring and what to look for there in a whole nother episode. Because I'm, at this point, I'm actually very strongly convinced most A's should not be hiring a VP. They should be hiring a director and a consultant. Because they can't afford a you. They can't afford a me, someone who's actually built. So they get a first timer to step in who was a part of a build, but yeah. wasn't building. And they hope they can figure it out, which is just a massive mistake. You need a great director ahead of with someone who's done it as an advisor consultant. And that combo is, I think, the best build framework. But if we look at what then the best orgs seem to be doing right, right? The ones that are scoring high on... Rep view, like the things that are in their control, what do you see? Because product market fit isn't always in their control. The capacity yeah. kind of is, right? Like you should have stopped yeah. hiring, but whatever. Like from the things that are in a sales org's control, what are the best of the best doing out there to attract and retain the best talent? Yeah, I mean, this is this one, people can debate this a little bit. You, you need to have a modern setup, right? I mean, you need these, there's so many sales tools out there. And so I'm not going to get into who's better than who necessarily, but you need to have a full modern selling stack, number one, right? I think that's that's kind of table stakes at this point. Um, and, and you can debate what that modern stack is, but I think most of the folks listening will have a general sense of what, you know, what they should have. Right. I mean, I think that's number number two. We just talked about like process, right? And and then th that can be a scary word too, right? That that can be like, man, I, you know. But so, what's the what's the balance between autonomy within a process and and lack thereof, right? And so, I'm a huge proponent of of strong guidelines, guide rails that are that are governing 
the whole system and then letting salespeople do what they do best within those guidelines, within those boundaries. Right. So what is the, like, what is it like, I don't like, I don't want to have, like, if I have a good salesperson, I don't want to have a script for every call. Right. I don't want to have, you know, yeah, you got cadences and you got email, you know, stuff. And of course you try and drive lead gen. I, I get all that. That's fine. But I'm talking about the sellers and the seller's autonomy and, you know, ultimately my, my philosophy has always been, this is the information I need to do my job as a CRO. I need this information like to go up the chain, to continue to go up the chain. If we can get that information and we're executing well, like I want to give a lot of autonomy to managers, directors, and salespeople themselves. If, if we're, if we're struggling, then we, we dive in a little bit deeper. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think the, the, the tech stack is important. I think autonomy uh, is important. I think how transparent is leadership about everything, right? Like why, like, I think expectations minus reality equals disappointment. Okay. So that's, there's like a literal mathematical formula in there Uh and you can apply it to hiring, right? Like, Hey, I expected 40 leads per month to me as a, as a rep and I'm getting 15. Okay. Well, 40 minus 15 equals disappointment, right? Now, if you had said, Hey, it's going to be 15, you got to drive your pipeline, da, 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 huge difference. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I know what I'm getting into. Maybe that pushes a few people out of this, out of the interview cycle that would have. And it's the same thing within an organization. Hey, we're, we're changing the comp plan, right? Okay. Well, that's scary. Okay. Well, here's, here's, here's exactly why here's the impact we expect on everybody. Et cetera, et cetera. Or, hey, this process is changing, right? Like, why, why? Every opportunity as a leader to communicate is an opportunity to develop your people as well, right? Like, giving, there, there's some subset of your people, every organization, like when you were running uh, Patient Pop Sales Org there, like some subset of those people are going to be VP of Sales one day somewhere likely, right? Hopefully. And that'd be awesome for you, right? That's a, that's huge. And I love it. I love when I see people that were on my team that are now, uh, you know, killing it somewhere else. Like, and, and, and I, I just think to every decision you make regarding communication, regarding um, transparency, regarding, you know, what information you give them, how you coach them, it's more than just getting in a one-on-one and coaching people. You're delivering decision-making process in an open, transparent way. That's going to shape how these people and these team members and your, your employees um, understand about transparency, understand about decisions, and also just understand about process and structure of how to run a team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, like, you know, transparency um, is just a huge, huge thing of, of decisions, right? And, um, you know, obviously there's some things you can't always share, but, you know, at some level, if you're a CRO, you, you get to decide what a lot of that is, you know, for the most part. So th- those are a couple couple thoughts on that. Yeah. And those are lessons I've learned as well. I'd rather over communicate at this point in my career than under. I'd rather share too much than share too little because of that point you made, right? Where it's like those expectations get misaligned and there's so many unspoken expectations. And I think that's where a lot of leaders get in trouble is there's expectations that never got discussed. And because they never got discussed, you don't even actually know what the expectation is of your people, of your managers. And there's already that gap and divide there and being able to speak to those things and dive in. I was actually just talking about this with um, a, a VP that I'm mentoring and working with right now. He's like, you know, I have an open door policy. I was like, okay, do you understand the point of the open door though? It's for you to walk out, not for them to walk in. 
You have to go out to your people and find out what's happening, find out what's going wrong, find out what they want, what they don't want, what they like, what they don't like, and being proactive there. It's not uh, open door policy for people to walk through is wrong. You have to walk out your door. That's the whole point of an open door policy. It's the big, honestly, in my opinion, as a VP of sales or CRO or whatever, like one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge of the remote environment is you, you, you're just not going to have the same level of touch points with your team, period, right? I mean, we, we were not a remote company. We had some remote folks and we had a couple, you know, we had offices, you know, multiple offices, sales offices around the world. But, you know, A, I go to every single one of them on a very regular basis. B, you know, you just even just chatting with the team the vibe, right? Like you just can't get that. And that's really hard. And I don't, I don't think I have, I haven't, I have not been in that seat since post pandemic. So I don't, you know, I don't think I have a great answer for it yet. I think I would probably have to do it myself, try and figure it out. Um, what are some of like, oh, zoom happy hour? Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm really feeling that. As Definitely the same not. That, that passed yeah. Within the first three weeks, the first yeah, yeah. three weeks, it was cool. After that, people were like, I swear to God, you invite me to another Zoom happy hour, I'm going to lose my shit. Right. So it's, it, it is, I mean, that for me is probably the most challenging thing about leading a, a large sales organization in a 100% remote environment is you lose that personal touch. You know, no matter how hard you try, you lose it. You can't be on the office floor with six people on the sales floor with six people there or walk by and just listen to a call and say, Hey, try this next time. Or, you know, Hey, a, a great call or whatever, you know, just impossible to do. Um, which, which is, it, I think is going to be a headwind in, in people development over, you know, over time, but we'll adjust, we'll adapt. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. Cause like there's ways to do it and you have to just be so much more intentional and proactive around it. But interestingly enough, you just touched on at the very end there, the number one place Number one metric that I saw impact across like this pandemic and shift to remote was ramp time. Mm-hmm. That that was the only metric that didn't recover in terms mm-hmm. of figuring out how to do it better. Was able to get close rates back up, able to get pipeline back up, able to get like was able to function. Ramp time, the absorption of new information, the onboarding process. That is where I saw the biggest hit to productivity was it took almost two months longer to ramp. And that's coming from me, right? Like where I have an onboarding program and we focus heavily on training and coaching and review and we have the process. That was the hardest thing remotely to do was how to onboard people in a way because now they're sitting in their bedroom, right? They're sitting in their room, their room, their room. They're not hearing it all day long. They're not getting supported all day long. They're not getting that, you know, the buddy that leans over and goes, oh, hey, try this next time. Like that yeah. was by far and away the hardest thing over the last two years to try to figure out. And we made improvements, but I can't even say that I truly figured it out because it, it did. It took so much more time to ramp people up. So, yeah. and actually, shoot, speaking of time, we're already at 40 minutes. See, this is the problem, man, is like these, I can go all day on some of these things and I want to yeah. make sure that like we can wrap it here. So I got two final questions for you, right? So the, yeah. the first one, right, we tend to call it like the big three, where it's like, you know, we've been going for about 40 minutes or so. Like if you wanted to make sure people remembered three things from this episode in terms of, you know, what to look for, how to structure an order, like, or even so much of like how to score high, on rep view, what would those three pieces of advice be? Yeah, well, so first of all, just I'll kind of split this up a little bit. I think people in their 
in their careers. I, I, I do think we need to try and think about being patient a little bit more at, at whatever level that you're at. And I know that people are getting recruited all the time, all day long. I know there's a lot of opportunities out there. Frankly, we're trying to help with, with evaluating those opportunities of what we're building at Repu. I don't think that there's, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with if you're happy um, and you see a path, like just, just be a little patient. I was, I was patient again. It's, this is years ago, right? 15 plus years ago when I was kind of running through that same motion that a lot of our salespeople that are probably listening to this are, but I, I think just take a step back and, 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 and try and be, uh, you know, patient and, and really thoughtful about some of those decisions that you make. Number two, product market fit. I'll go, I'm going to go back to that. Um, it can be hard to dive into, but the most important thing that will drive the success of the business, frankly, is the product market fit. Mm-hmm. Like is, you know, is the product winning? Is it a leader? You know, there's a huge difference in your ability to succeed, to succeed when you're selling the number one product in the market versus the number four product in the market. Huge, right? You, one is going to win. Two is going to get a bunch of wins. Three, it starts to get tough. Four down, like, okay, you know, you, you, you're, you're swimming upstream, right? I think that's, um, you know, I, I think that's important. Then let me touch on the last thing uh, that you said about ramp time. Let me just, let me, I'll, I might, I'll use my third bullet on that, which is everybody should really think about that as a salesperson, right? So, so Katie just described his biggest hurdle as a sales leader was can't get them up ramp time. What can you do as a seller to help mitigate that? Like, how do you be intentional about listening in on calls, like seeking out calls, like, Hey, are you using like a chorus or a gong or some, one of those types of things? Like, how can I get my hands on literally every call in the library, good calls, bad calls, ask the person that did the call, the salesperson that's been there for a while, like ask if they have 10 minutes to just answer your questions about the call, right? Like, what are the things that you can go through your training stuff, go through it twice, right? Like, cause you're looking at ramp time as your number one problem there, as you described, I'm, I, I believe, I believe that that makes perfect sense. And so what about those three reps out of 20 that you hired last year that like blew out the ramp time? Like what, like, how do you view them? Like, I don't know, but they got something, right? Be one of those people, right? And you can do, you can choose to do that, right? You can choose, or you can choose not to do that. There's so, so much of what we do and, and drive success are choices that we make, right? Versus skill set versus talent. Um, it's intentional choices that you, that you like elect to make and, and commit yourself to. So I'll leave that as the third one, which is, you know, be intentional about how you, how you do things like that. There's, there's my word again, man. Intention is my favorite word. It's my favorite word as a, yeah. as a leader, as a father, as a husband, as a person. It's like, what are you doing with intention? Right? I talked about this a lot with my teams and my managers. 10 minutes of intention is better than an hour of attention. Like, yeah. what is your intention here? Are you on that practice to actually get better? Are you on that practice because I had to take a practice? Are you listening to the call to get better? Or are you listening to the call because, well, Ryan said on a podcast, I should listen to more calls. And so it's like, what's that <laughs> intention behind what you're doing? That's what drives everything. And then the last question I want to ask here, right? So the name of the podcast is Live Better, Sell Better. Because I also have this weird idea, right? That if we lived better, if we had more joy, more energy, more happiness, more fulfillment, that the sales would also improve. What would your live better advice be for people listening? I mean, I think that the the advice I like to give people is that don't let your performance on a leaderboard define who you are as a a human being, right? There's so many things that are more important, right? You know, family, mental health, 
right? Like it's, it's, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's like, I made a few less dollars, right? I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. I'm working hard, but don't, don't take performance on the leaderboard as, you know, performance in life, right? When you look back at, when you look back at it, you're not going to remember, you know, Hey, let me think Q2, 2007, I was number two out of 11. No, 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 that doesn't matter. You know, what matters is how you treat people. What matters is how you treat your family. What matters is the legacy you leave. Uh, not, it's not a score, it's not a leaderboard. Um, and so like, Hey, if you're, if you're, cause I've seen people that really struggle with, you know, not doing as well. There, there's so many things and factors that are out of your control in your performance at work that, that, that will impact you negatively. And, and so you need to realize that. And I think when you look at what's in control in your life outside of work, I think there's there, where we live, like, you know, and, and, here in the U.S. for the most part, um, there's so much that is in our control, right? We can control more of that. And so I think let that define you, let your, you know, how you treat people, your family, let that define you, not, not your position on a leaderboard. So I'll leave folks with that. Hopefully they'll help one or two people. That's always the goal with this, right? One or one or two. And that's also, I love the, the mission that you're on because there's this idea, right? Of work-life balance, right? Work-life balance, which I don't believe in. Because it work-life balance implies that they're on two opposite ends of the, the teeter-totter, right? Like they're two opposite ends. It's work-life integration, right? It's really hard to have a good home life if your work life sucks. And it's mm-hmm. really hard to have a great work life if your home life sucks. They, they go together. And so my hope with what you're doing, right, is if people can get into better opportunities, that also helps them live better because they are happy. They are having fun. They are making the money that they want to make. And that carries across everything. And so my man, this was, this was great. Where can people get more of you? Where can they find you? Where can they get like, find out what revenue is doing? Like where, where are you putting out good stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I post, you know, typically a few times a week, at least uh, easy to find on, on LinkedIn. Refuse got a huge presence on LinkedIn. We dabble a little bit on on Insta, we dabble a little bit on TikTok, believe it or not. Um, you know, so we're, we're really easy to find. Repu.com, you can join. It's free, of course, for, for salespeople. Just takes about two minutes to add a rating to join. So super easy. It's a light lift. And then, and then check out the data we've got on there. It's, it really is mission-driven for salespeople um, to, you know, to, to help with career opportunities and career guidance and uh, anybody can reach out to me. I'm, I'm very accessible as well um, via via LinkedIn or whatever. So um, yeah, I appreciate it. Oh yeah, my man. Well, this was awesome. It's exactly what I was hoping it would be. I'm sure we'll be having many a chats in the future anyway about RepView and how to make the world better for salespeople. But I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate you.